to give you some, some tools for the toolbox. Anybody need a few extra tools in your toolbox? Oh, the vast majority knows how to live this life out. Well, <laughs> hallelujah. Well, for those four or five that need more tools, you have come to the right place today. I'm just telling you, God's going to help us today. I believe that. I know that he is. I want you to open up your Bible and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 15. Second Samuel chapter 15. We're going to start with verse 13. Just follow along. I have several verses I'd like to read. But I want you to get this. It's a crisis in King David's life that arose. And how he handled it and how God helped him with it. Verse 13, now a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Absalom was David's son. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise, let us go. And the king's servants said to the king, we are your servants ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. Then the king went out with all his household after him, but the king left ten women, concubines, to keep the house. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. Then all his servants passed before him, and all the Cherethites, all the Pelethites, all the Gittites, six hundred men who had followed him from Gath, passed before the king. Then the king said to Ittai, the Gittite, Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today? Since I go, I know not where. Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. But Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. What a great spirit. So David said to Ittai, Go and cross over. Ittai the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. The king, David, himself also crossed over the brook Kidron. And all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. Verse 24, there was Zadok also. Zadok is the priest, and all the Levites with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God, and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. The king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of the city back into the city. Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. 
The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace, and your two sons with you. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Therefore, Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. So David went up by the, mount, by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up. He and, his, and he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. Then someone told David, saying, Ahiathophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahiathophel into foolishness. Now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshipped God, there was Hushai the archite coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. And David said to him, If you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. Verse 34. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now also be your servant. Then you may defeat the counsel of Ahithophel for me. And do you not have Zadok and Abiathar the priest with you there? Therefore it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Indeed, they have with them their two sons, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. Father, thank you for your word. We're asking that our ears would be open to hear, our hearts would be open to receive. Let us be challenged, let us be changed by the power of your word. And we give you thanks and praise, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Come on, if you want to be changed by the power of the Word, agree with me by just saying amen. amen. When the great Chicago fire consumed the windy city in 1871, Horatio G. Spafford, who was an attorney heavily invested in real estate, he lost a fortune. About that time also, his only son, age four, died to scarlet fever. Horatio drowned his grief in work and poured himself into rebuilding the city and assisting the some 100,000 who had been left homeless. In November of 1873, two years later, he decided to take his wife and daughters to Europe. Horatio was a close friend to D.L. Moody, great preacher of that day, and also another not-so-well-known preacher, Ira Sankey, and he wanted to go and visit their evangelistic meetings that were being held in England, and he wanted to enjoy a vacation. When an urgent matter detained Horatio in New York, he decided to send his wife, Anna, and their four daughters, Maggie, Tanetta, Annie and Bessie on ahead of him. As he saw them settle into a cabin aboard the luxurious French liner V.A. du Havre, an unease filled his mind. He moved them to a room closer to the bow of the ship. Then he said goodbye and he promised he would join them soon. 
During the wee hours of November 22nd, 1873, as the VA du Havre glided over smooth seas, the passengers were jolted from their bunks. The ship had collided with an iron sailing vessel, and the water poured in like Niagara Falls. The VA du Havre tilted dangerously. Screams, prayers, and oaths emerged into a nightmare of unmeasured terror. Passengers clung to post, tumbled through darkness, and were swept away by the powerful currents that night. Loved ones fell from each other's arms and disappeared into the foaming blackness. Within two hours, the mighty ship vanished beneath the waters. The 226 fatalities that night included Maggie, Tanetta, Annie, and Bessie, Horatio's four daughters. His wife, Mrs. Spafford, was found nearly unconscious, clinging to a piece of the wreckage. When the 47 survivors landed in Cardiff, Wales, she cabled her husband and said, Saved, alone, children, lost, what shall I do? Horatio immediately booked passage to join his wife en route on a cold December night. The captain called him aside and said, Horatio, I believe this is the area where your daughters perished. I believe we're passing over the place where the Via du Havre went down. Spafford went to his cabin but found it hard to sleep and he said to himself, it is well with my soul. He found a pen and parchment paper and he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. The only hymn Horatio G. Spafford ever wrote was inspired by the greatest crisis he would ever go through. How do we cope with crisis? By the way, just as another side note, he wrote the words to It Is Well With My Soul. Somebody else wrote the melody. They wrote the tune. His name was Philip Bliss. And it wasn't very long after he wrote the melody to this great hymn that he and his wife died in a terrible train wreck in Ohio. How do we cope with crisis? What do we do when... The crisis arise, arises in our lives. When crises creeps up, how do we cope? Simple truth is, all of us will have crisis in our lives. Hopefully, your crisis won't be on the scale of Horatio Spafford. 
Hopefully, your crisis won't be on the scale of King David. But I found some principles in God's Word concerning this particular crisis that King David faced. And I thought maybe it might help us today. First of all, in coping with crisis, we need to understand that the most painful of crises are the personal ones. The most painful crisis a person could ever go through is the personal one. Picture this scene with me. Here is the king of Israel, God's chosen man, God's anointed and appointed one. A messenger runs into the palace throne room and he brings urgent news of dire proportions to the king. And as the messenger unfolds this message, the words stab David's heart like a knife. David hears that the nation of Israel has turned against him. And that's not the worst of it. His own son is leading the rebellion. Absalom, David's flesh and bone. Leading the coup attempt. Leading the rebellion. Wow. He's trying to overthrow him. He's trying to seize his throne. It had become clear to David and all around, Absalom's goal was not just to overthrow the throne. Absalom wanted his father out of the picture. Absalom was trying to kill his father. This is a crisis of grand proportion. It is a national crisis because if Absalom succeeds... It changes everything for the whole nation. You know, when you get somebody new in a political position, it has the potential to change everything. We just voted on Tuesday, hopefully. I won't ask how many voted. I should ask how many didn't vote, but I won't do that. You know I'm ornery like that sometimes. I love you enough to get ornery with you, right? I'm going to stay away from that, though. Anyway, it just takes one person in the Senate, one person in the, in the governor's mansion, one person in, in Congress, one person in, in the presidential place to turn the whole nation. This is a crisis on a national scale. Let's face it. But it's so much more than that to David. He recognizes that it is a national crisis, but it's so personal. The crisis that crept into David's life was a personal crisis. His own son trying to overtake and overthrow and even kill him. This crisis was not only going to affect David, rarely do crises affect one person. Have you found that out? I, I don't think I've ever encountered a crisis in my life that solely affected me. First of all, it's going to affect me and my wife because we are no longer separate. We are two that have become one, which is God's plan for, for marriage. Two shall become one. I cannot face a crisis on my own that will not affect my, affect my wife. 
She cannot go through a crisis privately and personally that won't affect me. We are one. And so the crisis has the potential to affect others in our lives, others that we care a lot about. There may be some things that Karen and I can go through that we could protect our children from, but they're few and far between because we love our children so much that the crisis we face, it trickles down, it flows down. The crisis that I face has the potential to affect the entire staff that I work with that God has so graciously sent to La Palma Christian Center. The crisis that I face could affect this whole church. That's what David is facing here. Isn't it interesting how crises arrives? A crisis could arrive in your life through, let's say, the workplace. Anybody ever lost a job? Some of y'all live in there right now. This has the potential to be devastating. I mean, after all, if you don't have any money coming in, you can't spend any money. It's hard. Workplace crises. How about family, home? Home is supposed to be this safe haven. We don't live in a house. I refuse to live in a house. We live in a home. And God bless the house that we live in to become a home. The home is a place, and I tell my children this all the time. This is our sanctuary. This is our safe place. This is to be a place of peace. Don't create turmoil and strife in the home. The home is is where we can get away and, and retreat. Sometimes, unfortunately, the crisis can arise right up in the middle of the home, in the middle of family. If you've ever had a a child rebel against you, a teenager rebel against you, a family member disown you, sadly, it happens within the family of God. It grieves the heart of God when this happens, but it does happen. I've even seen, not at this church, but I have even seen believers trying to go to the same church that can't stand each other. Family members, blood family that won't even sit on the same side of the church. Still trying to pretend like they love God when they don't love each other. You can't love God and hate somebody else. Preach, Pastor Steve. Rose, would you shout me down? Because that was good. Thank you. I said you can't love God and hate somebody else. It can't be done. Crisis comes through work, through home, through family. Here's one. Crisis can come through God's house. It shouldn't. You want to talk about grieving the heart of God? It's when a crisis arises, turmoil arises, right in the house of God. Believers at one another, bickering and fighting. Crisis is no respecters of persons, and it's not fair when it arrives. Crisis does not care if it's convenient for you. It just shows up. It's personal when it involves your family. 
It's personal when somebody is attacking your character. It's personal when somebody is trying to inflict pain on you. How many think it's personal when somebody's trying to actually take your life and kill you? That sounds a little personal to me. In coping with crisis, understand that the most painful are the personal ones. Number two, regroup before you act. Sometimes, and I should have left off sometimes. I don't know why I put sometimes on there because I can't think of a time that we don't need to regroup. Scratch that. Just put regroup before you act. If you do not regroup, you will react. And I'm just telling you, I have reacted to individuals and circumstances in a split second and regretted my reaction. When I should have retreated, I should have regrouped. I should have pulled back and pulled away so that I could really properly hear what God wanted me to do and not just do what I thought God wanted me to do. Hello? Sometimes I do things, I do what I, I thought God wanted me to do. I do what I hope God wanted me to do. I need to pull back and regroup and rethink and get the mind of God, get the mind of Christ, and then do what He wants me to do. Look at this. Look at verse number 14. I don't know if you can bring that verse up or not. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee. Now he wasn't running away. He was simply, wisely regrouping. He was regrouping right here, and I think it is a very, very good thing for us to do. Decisions made in haste rarely succeed. How many times have you said things off the cuff that you've regretted? Anybody ever just told somebody off and you, boy, you thought, I wish I could take that back? said things. And you know what? Once you say something, it's out there. You can't, you can't shove that back in the pie hole. You can't get the words back in. You can't swallow them back in. Once you say it, it's there. Once you act out inappropriately, it's there. There's no redoing. There's no pushing rewind. But if we take the time to regroup and refocus, wow then I believe we will act appropriately instead of reacting in a rash way. David has two options right here, the way I see it. Fight or flight. And he opts to fly. He opts to get out of dodge. Could he have fought? Well, obviously he could have. He could have said, oh, you think you're going to fight me? You think you're going to come against me? It's on. He could have done that, right? And just because somebody's after him, he's going to go after them. He could have done that, but he did not do that. He pulled back. He said, let us flee. Wow. If he flees and regroups his position, his position there would be time for him to gain strength and plot out a strategy of his own. Then he could face the situation on his own terms, or better yet, on God's terms. 
By fleeing this coming coup attempt, David does three things, and I want you to write them down, those of you who are taking notes. Three things are accomplished by David fleeing. Number one, he preserves the sanctity of Jerusalem. He preserved the sanctity of Jerusalem. David wasn't thinking selfishly right here. He was hurting personally, but he was thinking nationally. He was thinking about Jerusalem. He was thinking about the people that God had entrusted him to lead and care for. He preserved the sanctity of Jerusalem. He provided for his own family. If he had just decided at an impulse to fight, he would not only be putting the whole nation in jeopardy, he would be putting his own family in jeopardy. So he also thought about his own family, and by regrouping, he was providing for his family and providing care for them. Finally, the third thing that he did here in regrouping, he was protecting the strength of his military. He was protecting his military strength. He could have said, well, we're going to fight. And when I say we, that means you guys. <laughs> right? Because he's the king. He calls the order, and he says go, he says now, he says fight, but it's the army that's fighting. So he's protecting the army by pulling back and rethinking and regrouping. Remember, Absalom had the plan. David didn't have the plan. The, the, the messenger came in and announced Absalom's plan, well thought out, well organized plan of attack. David had to go back and get his own plan from God. Folks, let me tell you, one way for sure that you can cope with a crisis is not to react, but regroup. Pull back, flee, get alone with God. Seek His face. See what He has to say about this. He will lead you he will give you a plan. When you regroup, three things will happen for you. Jot these down. Number one, regrouping will give you a clearer understanding of the bigger picture. When you regroup, you get a clearer understanding of the bigger picture. Remember my invisible helicopter that we got in last week? How many of y'all remember this? It's like Wonder Woman's airplane. You can't see it, but it's there. I got a helicopter that I, I like to get in, my spiritual helicopter. I get in this thing, and I pray the Holy Spirit to take me up above my family, take me up above this church, take me up above this city, take me up above my circumstances, take me up above my, my trial that I might be facing right now. When you regroup, it's like you're getting into the invisible spiritual helicopter and the Holy Spirit will allow you to see clearly the bigger picture here. Then you won't be ambushed by the enemy. You'll see the bigger plan. Get along with God. Regroup. Number two, when you regroup, you get focused on the real problem at hand. Because how many of y'all know the enemy is a master at smoke and mirrors? He's got all the flash, all the pizzazz, all the bells and whistles. He's got the growl and the roar of the lion, but no teeth in the mouth of the lion. 
Satan, like a lion, roams around seeking who he may devour. But it's hard for him to devour you when all he's got is gums and he's going to gum you to death. See, it allows you to focus on not the smoke and mirrors of this crisis and the, and the situation that the enemy's trying to make bigger than what it is. Get back, get alone, regroup, let the smoke settle, let the dust settle, and you'll really see what the issue is. You'll see what the real problem is at hand. Number three, when you regroup, you get an opportunity to regain your strength. And we need the strength of the Lord to fight the battles that are before us. In order to cope with the crisis that may be facing you, you need the strength of the Lord. Your own strength will probably not cut it. Your own ability probably won't do it. Your own talent will not be adequate. You've got to pull back, rethink, regroup, get along with God, and let Him bring the strength back that you need. Do you know how you can get some strength from the Lord? The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Ladies and gentlemen, God is offering you a twofer today. Two for the price of one. You get the joy of the Lord and He's going to throw in strength as a bonus to you. Get along with God, regroup with God, seek God's face, and He will replenish your joy. He'll renew your joy. And as your joy is renewed, so will your strength be renewed. And you'll be ready to fight the battle. You'll be ready to climb the mountain. You'll be ready to scale the wall. Got to regroup, though. Good morning. I just saw my friend back here. How's your kids? We miss them. Give them our love. Sorry about that, folks. Wow. How do we cope with crisis? You know what? I've got a, uh, seven points. I, I just finished number two right there. Okay? Don't get nervous. I knew I wasn't going to get through all seven. I hope to get through three or four maybe this morning. But I'm going to call Pastor Moses to come. I feel like we need to pray right now. I want you to come back tonight. You've got to get these next five tools. You've got to get this. Because crisis is going to be part of our lives. As I say this, let me interject right here. We're not going to continue to talk about our troubles and how to prepare for our troubles. We're not going to continue to talk about the crisis and how to cope with crisis. I'm giving you the tools that I believe God would give me, have me give to you so that you can properly learn this. Then we're going to get on to victorious living. But if you, if you miss out on these tools and we move on as a church, we're talking about vic victory in Christ and, and living the life that he's called us. And you're like, well, wait a minute, I'm stuck back here in the treble. We're giving you tools two weeks ago. We gave you tools two months ago. We've moved on. I'm just saying. I feel the Holy Ghost say, give them these tools and we are moving on. We're not going to keep talking about the trouble, talk, focusing on the trouble, focusing on the crisis. That's for right now. So that you can be properly prepared for it. Understand the 
most painful are personal. Regroup before you act. Anybody want to know what number three is? All right, come back tonight, and I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what number three and four and five and six and seven. It's going to be good. Here's what our focus of prayer is going to be right now. As I was preparing this, the Holy Spirit just showed me so many in our congregation who understand that painful part of the personal crisis. When someone that you have cared for and nurtured and loved rebel against you. Wow. There's just nothing quite like that. So I want us this morning, before we leave, I want us to pray for our family that is wayward. Our family that may be in defiance and rebellion. Our family that's lost. Now, when I say rebellion, I, I see a certain picture. When I talk about rebellious, I, it conjures something up. And maybe you're thinking, well, they're lost, but I don't really consider them rebellious. Well, the simple truth is, folks, anybody who has had the opportunity to follow Christ and has decided not to, I would say that pretty well classifies them as rebellious. You might say, well, they're good people. You know how many good people are going to be in hell? Hell's going to be packed with good people. Really good people, wonderful people that didn't decide to follow Christ. If you're here and you have a family member that is weighing on your heart, they're lost, they're, they're wayward, they are in rebellion and you want us to pray with you, I want you to stand right now. We're going to pray for that loved one that's coming to your mind and is on, on your heart heavy. There's somebody in your life, somebody in your home, somebody in your namesake. Maybe they don't live in the same home with you. Perhaps they share the same last name. Come on. Now I want you to take the next 60 seconds and you personally pray for that one. You know their name. You know where they live. You know what they might be going through right now. I don't know that. So I want you to personally begin to just lift them up, speaking their name out right now and asking God. Asking God to touch them. Asking the Holy Spirit to go to them. Asking that His presence would be made known to them. Come on, open up your mouth and just begin to intercede for that family member right now. Maybe you have several. Call all their names out. Come on, let's petition the throne of God. Let's ask Him for some things. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. Let's ask today and let's ask with faith believing that God will not only hear us, but God will answer us and God will save our wayward loved ones. God will save our rebellious teenagers, our rebellious children. Oh God, we call upon your name today. Move your mighty hand. Move your mighty hand. Open up their hearts. Open up their minds. 
And God, I pray, Lord, with this congregation of believers, I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that right now you would make yourself known to them and that your presence would be so powerful, your presence would just be arresting to them. Come to them by your presence. I pray, Lord, that their eyes with scales, the scales would be removed, Lord. Ears that have been closed to the gospel would be opened right now in Jesus' name. Hearts that have over time become callous, every callous would be torn away from the heart, Lord. You would give them hearts of flesh, Lord. Take away the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. God, move on our family members. Move on them. And Jesus... We follow your lead and we pray as you told us we are to pray. Lord of the harvest. Come on, somebody pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord of the harvest, send forth workers, send forth laborers into the harvest field. And this is our prayer today, God. We are praying that believers would be sent to our family members. We pray, God, that spirit-filled believers would be sent to our family members, God. We pray, Lord, that you would send somebody to work right next to them that's spirit-filled and full of life and full of boldness and will take a stand and point them to the cross. We pray, Lord, that you would send spirit-filled believers to move into the neighborhood right across the street, right next to them. Send spirit-filled believers, Lord, into Walmart, into Target, God, into the grocery stores, into the gas stations, Lord. Everywhere that our family members go, may they be bombarded with somebody who knows you. Hallelujah. Now come on and call them by name one more time and plead the blood of Jesus over them right now. Come on, plead the blood of Jesus over Sarah. Plead the blood of Jesus over James. Plead the blood of Jesus over Michelle. Plead the blood of Jesus over them and tell the devil you cannot have them. There's a bloodline you cannot cross and we claim them for the gospel. They will serve the Lord. We are believing that they will serve the Lord. Hallelujah. We pray it in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody. Come on, say in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want you to email me or call me. Send up smoke signals. I don't care. Do something to get word to me that the family member that you just prayed for did, in fact, come to Christ decided to recommit their lives to the Lord because I believe that as we pray, God hears us and God answers our prayers. Otherwise, why are we going through the motions? Otherwise, let's just get on to Sizzler and get our steak on. Come on now. I believe that God heard us right now. I believe that God is answering it. It's already activated. The answer is already in motion. So I'm believing that you are going to call me or email me and tell me, Pastor, you'll never guess what. Some of it could be answered by the end of today. Some, when you go home, you could have a message waiting on your answering machine. Somebody saying, you'll never guess what happened to me. Some may be by week's end. I don't know. But I believe that God is going to send revival to our families. And end that crisis right there. Come back tonight, please. Come back. And get these tools in your toolbox. Amen. Amen. Pastor Dave, would you come and dismiss us in prayer?
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great day that you have given us, God. We're thankful for the work that you are doing in our hearts and our lives, God, and giving us the tools, Lord, to deal with crises that we face, O oh God. Lord, in the midst of it all, help us to remember to give you the praise and give you glory and honor, Father. And Lord, that we're not going to stay here, God. We're just picking up tools and we're going to move on to victorious living, God. Lord, we're so thankful for your presence. Lord, I pray that you would bring us all back safely tonight, God, to learn more, to put more tools in our box. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.